0: We've come to, in our Westminster Shorter Catechism series, we've finished with the Eighth Commandment, so we're moving on to the Ninth Commandment today, and this will be the introductory sermon on the, uh, on the, um, what, the commandment itself, looking at the commandment itself. So let's confess the questions from our catechism that are related to this commandment, confess the answers to these in unison, beginning with question 76. So question 76, which is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Question 77, what is required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own in our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. Question 78, what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. For the scripture reading, I'm going to do as I usually do when we get a new commandment and we'll look at the, um, the just the 10 commandments. I'll read the 10 commandments to you. Our focus will be on verse 16, which is the ninth commandment that I'll read. From verse 1 in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy law of God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. May the Lord bless the reading of His Holy Word. We'll stop at that point. And now again, let me draw your attention especially to the ninth commandment that's in verse 16, which says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So we'll begin by looking at the meaning and the scope of this commandment. It speaks expressly of bearing false witness in a court of law. That's the most heinous kind of lying that you can do, because it's not only a lie, which is a wrong to start with, but it's also a lie when you have taken a vow before God to tell the truth, a lie that you tell under oath, when you have sworn to tell the truth before God. When you swear before God in a court of law, you're asking God to judge you if you're not telling the truth. So you're calling upon him to bear witness to the truth. It shows a complete disregard for the Lord to lie under oath. And then besides that, it is a heinous sin because it's a lie that is aimed at hurting your neighbor by accusing them and saying that they have done something and testifying even under oath that they have done something that they have not done. You're trying to get your neighbor in trouble with the law for something that they didn't do, and what an awful thing that is to do to another person, as with the other commandments, they have an aspect to them that it has is a capital offense that's saw uh, worthy of death for those who violate it in deuteronomy nineteen sixteen through nineteen we're told when bearing false witness might be a capital offense it says This is 1916 of Deuteronomy. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother so you shall put away the evil from among you. So if you accuse someone of doing something that was a capital offense, like of committing adultery or of uh, murder or something like that, then it meant that if you bore false witness about that, the person would have died if they had been guilty of that, then you die for bearing false witness. And that's a very just punishment, isn't it? Our society has gone very wrong with this. I think it's because we hate the truth so much. And we think nothing when people bear a false witness. It's just, it's just looked at as a little thing. It hurts us all that we do not punish the sin in our society as we ought. It has become very convenient, a very convenient way for people to attack others without very, with very, very little risk to themselves. Like if you want to steal from someone, you can just lie about what they did, and then if you get caught that you were lying, it's not really a big deal; nothing happens. Parents, you need to remember this too in your in your home. Um, if one of your children falsely accuses his sibling of of something like like stealing or something like that, then you should punish the child that made the accusation as if they had stolen whatever it was. That's the that's what God's law teaches us. Bearing false witness is, is really quite a, a nasty thing to do. I mean, you, you ought to hate all sins that have anything to do with this sin because it's, it's quite, quite unacceptable, really. We, we have seen that, that we're to look at all the commandments like this. In the, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord often presents sin in its worst form, not always its very worst form, but the sins in different categories of sin that the Ten Commandments lay out, it presents one that is, is commonly committed, that's one of the, that's in the, the worst, in the, that is commonly committed. Sometimes there's bizarre sins that are related that are even more extreme. But the ones that are, um, in their, the, the worst ones that are normal, I guess you might say. And uh, in the Ten Commandments, he presents sin in its worst form, not so that you can say, well, I'm glad I never did that. You know, like people do when they hear that uh, you shall not murder. They say, well, well I never murdered anybody. Or uh, you shall not commit it. Oh, well, I, didn't, I, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't, I didn't take someone else's wife or anything like that. But it's so that you can see where the sin you've committed leads and what wickedness is associated with that sin. To lust after a person to whom you're not married, Jesus says, is adultery. Now, he didn't mean that it's just as bad to lust as it is to, um, to commit adultery. But he meant that you violate this sin, you shall not commit adultery when you do something that's contrary to the, the whole orbit of this sin. To be angry with someone without a cause is murder. And, of course, even the least sin we're, we deserve to be eternally punished for as far as before God. So the goal here is for you to see sin in its true colors so that in the lesser forms that you will realize that, hey, I am an adulterer if I lust or I am a, um, I, I'm, I'm a, um, someone that bears false witness if I tell a little fibs, you know, that you realize that, that what's going on with this. So what is associated with the commandment, then, the commandment against bearing false witness? Well, every form of lying is a violation of this commandment. When you lie about anything, then you've broken the ninth commandment. Every effort to bring down another person's reputation is also a violation of this commandment. Even if even if it's not done in a court of law. You say, well, I didn't really bear false witness against them. You know, I was just talking or whatever. You know, those little comments that you, you drop about other people to bring their reputation down a little bit. Because that, That's the kind of thing. That, that is a violation, too. A uh, person behaves, they're, uh, it's, it's just as bad. I mean, not just as bad, but it's the same orbit of sin is somebody that accuses someone of murder that didn't murder anyone. Question 78 reminds us of this when it says, The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. So it includes all of those things. But we must also look at what duties the prohibition against bearing false witness brings to mind. Just as we have seen with the other commandments, If they command you to do something, if the commandment commands you to do something, then by implication, it's commanding you not to do something. And if it commands you or if it tells you not to do something, forbids you to do something, then it's commanding the opposite duty. So that's the way they work. This is brought out in question 77 with this commandment when it says the ninth commandment requireth. What does it require? The maintaining and promoting of the truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. So then it's not enough to just keep silent, to not tell lies. You also need to tell the truth. Now, there are times when people don't have any right to know the truth, and you can remain silent. But I'm talking about when it is an occasion. Like, for example, if someone's name is being trashed, it's not enough to just be silent. You need to speak up and say, oh, well, you shouldn't be talking about so or Let's go talk to them. If if they did something like that, we need to go and talk to them and and confront them about it, you know, and call them to turn back to the Lord. And person, oh no, no, I don't want to do that. Well, why are you talking to me about it? And likewise, if you're selling a car and you know that there's something wrong with it, then you need to tell the buyer about it. You need to speak up. Ephesians four twenty five brings us out when it says, "Therefore, putting away lying, you don't just stop lying." But let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So it's not enough just to stop lying. You need to start telling the truth. But there is an even more important implication to the ninth commandment. If we're to speak the truth about our neighbor, how much more should we speak the truth about God? And even if someone says, well, I, I don't know the truth about God. Well, you have a duty to know God. You have a duty to find out what the truth is. If we're to speak the truth about our neighbor, much more about God. Paul describes how he does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He describes the lies that people live by. He calls them strongholds. This is if they make a fortress of lies to shield them, to protect them from the truth. They want to live in a fantasy world that's not the true world. They don't want to face God. And so they take refuge, they go to a stronghold of lies. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul says that he therefore makes it his business by God's enabling power to bring down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity To the obedience of Christ. He wants people. To believe the truth. So he attacks. The falsehood. To bring their thoughts. In line. With Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the next point. What is it about us. That causes us to tell lies. What's wrong with us. That we tell lies. Okay. uh, Even little children do this. Nobody. Parents don't have to teach their children to tell lies. They figure out how to do it all on their own. The problem is that we live in a world that is committed to falsehood. In John 8, Jesus shows how even the religious leaders of God's covenant people were entrenched in lies. You would do well to turn to John 8 and have a look at your Bible and look at that, Look at this. Uh, The Jewish leaders have just reminded Jesus that they are Abraham's descendants. They say, we are Abraham's descendants. And indeed, they were. Of all people, then, Abraham's descendants, they should have known the truth about the Messiah that was promised to Abraham. And they should have received him as the Messiah. He was the one that God sent to redeem them. Prophecies had been given about him from the beginning. And they knew these prophecies. Jesus had gone among them, giving sight to the blind, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the truth, preaching the gospel to the poor. If anyone should have known him, then these people were the ones that should have known him. But in John eight thirty seven through 41, Jesus shows them that they are not like Abraham, because they didn't even recognize the fact that he came from God. Okay, so look at verse 37. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father. Now, Jesus, of course, refers to God as his father. So he says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father okay verse 39 they answered and said to him abraham is our father jesus said to them if you were abraham's children you would do the works of abraham but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which i heard from god abraham did not do this you do the deeds of your father then they said to him we were not born of fornication we have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. So you see, He's making it clear that, that they were not people that were living in the truth, that were doing the truth, even though they were biologically descendants of Abraham. Now in verse 3, Jesus identifies what the problem is. He says, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He has erected a refuge of lies, you see. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the devil did not, no one was created with lies. We were created, angels and men were all created in the truth. The devil has brought those up himself. He has generated those lies and the, the turnings from the, from the way of truth. Jesus says in verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, and see, you're committed to this. You're you're in this refuge of lies with your father, the devil. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. He says, which of you convicts me of sin? Can you show me where I'm wrong in God's word? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, of God, hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. They were of their father, the devil. This is the only explanation for their blindness. They are entrenched in lies because they are of Satan, the father of lies. He is their father and he is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies because he led the whole world into falsehood. Jesus calls him a liar from the beginning because he lied to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, the father and mother of the whole world in the beginning, right when they were created. This is how he got the whole world into falsehood. What was the lie that Satan introduced to us? It can be described simply like this. Satan told our first parents and so all of us who are in them, that it would be better for them if they were like God. Now, not like God is his image bearers, which is the way we're supposed to be like God, reflections of his love, kindness, holiness, justice, goodness, mercy, truth, but like God in the sense of being in charge. You will be like God, he said. This would be a good thing. It's not a good thing. Not that way. In other words, Satan told them that it would be better if they were running things. And their own lives instead of obeying God. You be like God where you're Lord. And not he's not Lord, but you're Lord. You decide what's good for you. You decide what you want to do. You want to eat the fruit? Eat the fruit. You want to do something else? You do that. And the great problem is that Adam and Eve and the whole world embraced the lie. We surrounded ourselves with a fortress of lies that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 10 that we mentioned before. The strongholds that Paul was trying to tear down. To bring in the truth. The lie, what is the lie? The lie is that God is not Lord. That he is not the only lawgiver and judge. That it is for us to rule our own affairs. To decide each of us what is best for us. With God is nothing more than a counselor at best. We might listen to his advice and say, No, I don't think so. I think it's better to do that. You know, whatever. Well, that, that's, that's the denial of the truth, of the reality of this whole universe. And there are all sorts of falsehoods that we surround ourselves with to embrace this narrative that God is not Lord of all. One prominent example today is the lie that the universe created itself, that all the design that we see around us came about of its own accord. It's insane to think such a thing, but this is a stronghold that many hide in to protect themselves from the truth that they don't want to face, that they're sinners in, a, in the world that God created. It is unacceptable to them to have God as the Lord of all who judges sinners like us. So they believe what is absurd, and they act like it's so sophisticated. You know, that they have come to understand this by science. It's so clear. The very foundation is utterly absurd the world could not create itself. And then there are false religions that deny that God is Lord in other ways. Some of them change God into an impersonal force who is incapable of governing or judging. and They don't have to deal with him that way. He's energy or power that we can learn the secrets of how to tap into his uh, his power. He's not a personal being that We submit to and obey that is pleased and displeased and that sort of thing. He's just a force, not the one who is the only judge of the world. Others don't go that far. They accept that he is a personal God and even a God who judges, perhaps. But they tone him down to be a God of their own making. They give him the qualities that they want him to have. So they erect a refuge of lies. The truth that they are most offended by. And that they agree with with all of their friends is one that says that we cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, you couldn't believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. There's other religions and other people that are trying to do the right thing. They don't want to face the truth that our sin is so offensive to God that nothing but his son can atone for it. Nothing but his son crucified can atone for it. They make up the lie that it's possible for us to be acceptable to God in other ways. Following the light that we have, doing the best we can, um, being an honest person, whatever whatever it is that they might come up with. But at the bottom of it all is the original lie that the true God is not Lord, that we must obey and serve, that he sets the terms, that he is the Lord. The narrative has been changed to something that is more suitable to, to me. And so we have become addicted to changing the narrative when we don't like the truth. We are addicted to telling lies. That is what lying is, telling stories, telling, making up narrative. Because we live in a world that embraces Satan's false narrative, then it's, it's such, such a huge distortion of truth as he, as he presented, then it's very easy for us to slip into this method Whenever we don't like the way things really are, instead of facing the truth and dealing with it, we come up with a new story about it. We change the story. And if this seems to work well for us, then we do it more and more. We got away with it. As parents, Mary and I have been very strict with our children about lying. If our kids did something that was worthy of punishment, then we would punish them. But if they lied about it, then they got three times the punishment. Because, uh, because they lied about it. Not only did they do it, but they lied about it. But sometimes the lie was a good one. And anyway, I'm using making this to illustrate something. And we couldn't tell for sure if they were telling. We were pretty sure that they were, they were not telling us the truth, but we couldn't, we couldn't really be sure about it. I always told the children in such cases that if they were lying and they were not admitting it, then sure as anything they would tell another lie. Another lie would follow. It always does because you become so addicted to lying. If you lie and you don't repent of the lie, then you'll lie again and again and again and again. And, again. and you'll start to believe your lies. It's such an easy way to get out of trouble that you'll tap into it again in, this, in the case I'm illustrating. And I was actually surprised that usually it was only a matter of a day or two That there would be a clear lie that that child would tell. A child that wasn't really accustomed to lying, but they did something and they seemed to tell and they denied it. And it's like, okay. And then there would be something. Okay, now I saw what happened this time and you lied to me. And I would say, what about a couple of days ago? And the head would go down. Yeah, you know, I told a lie then too. I would say, you see? If you tell a lie, you're going to tell another lie. And if you don't repent, you, you, you can't, you're not following God anymore. You've broken your, you, you, you've moved away from the truth. And so there's nothing to keep you in the truth. All you have is lies now to live in lies and to, to falsehood, falsehood, falsehood. The point is because we live in a world then that embraced Satan's lie. When we look at the whole world in the beginning, that's how we, right in the beginning, we embrace his lie then it's very easy for us to resort to this method whenever we don't like the truth. If we can get away with it, and then we'll do it again. Now think about some of the ways that we do this uh, storytelling thing. We do it when we have something to sell, and we wish it was in better condition than, it, <laughs> than what it really is. We could fix it, but what if we don't want to bother to fix it? You know, Well, we lie about it. We make up a new story. We change the narrative. We tell people that it's better than it really is. And then we sell it for the price that we wanted to get. We make up a little story. Or maybe you did something bad. You're a kid and you ate the cookies that your mom made for the neighbor. You knew they were made for the neighbor. And you don't like the narrative now (laughs) that you're being asked, what happened to the cookies? And you don't like what happened now. It was fine when you were doing it, but you want to have a different story now because as it stands, you're going to get in big trouble for eating those cookies. So you come up with a story that, you know, the dog uh, jumped up on the table and ate the cookies or your little sister ate them, which is even worse. Maybe you even make a mess. So to make the story look more, um, more credible that, you know, there's a bunch of crumbs around like the little kid, you know, so that, so they, they'll believe what you said. Uh, It's really not, you know, we we laugh at seeing a little kid, you know, with the the ink all over him and marker and stuff. No, I didn't play with the markers. You know, it's so it's so stupid. But but, you know, God, that's how we look to God because he knows the truth. And we can have the most sophisticated lie in the world that deceives everybody in the world. And we've got ink on our fingers. I mean, God is not he's not deceived at all. By no matter how clever we may be and how clever our lie may be, you can't change the facts. You can't just make up a story and say, this is what happened when something else happened. God's the world is as it is. And you can't modify that. Maybe there's a person. Okay, another another time when you want to make up a story, there's a person that you don't like. Or maybe you're jealous of them, or something like that. So you want to find fault, fault with them, so you go looking for it. You know, there must be something wrong with that <laughs> they seem to, everything seems to they, they seem to have everything together. And sure enough, you're able to find some things. And then you take those things and you exaggerate them a little bit. You're changing the story because of your bitterness toward that other individual. Really, you're hating them is what you're doing. You're wanting them to look bad. Or perhaps you get some help. Someone else has a story about that person. And boy, as soon as you hear it, your, your ears perk right up. You don't even check to see whether it's true or not because, wow, this is just what I was looking for. It must be true. You're so glad to have a story. You're rejoicing whether it's true or not. You embrace it and you start spreading it and even defending it. You're so happy about it that you convince yourself that it, it must be true. It surely must be true. Or maybe you just want to hold people's interests. You find that the truth is not as interesting as it might be. So you add a few embellishments to the story of your own. Things are a little worse than they really are. Things are a little bigger than they really are. Things are a little faster than they really are. Or perhaps you did what you did is a little more heroic than it really is. You have done, you've, you've all done this sort of thing. Because we live in a world of lies. And you're part of it. Maybe you're a news reporter and you want your story to be popular more than you want it to be true. So you dress it up. And you supply a few facts that you think are perhaps true but you really don't know whether they're true or not, but you present them as stuff. Or maybe you just put out plain old lies. That's done so much today. It's kind of, you don't even know what to believe from news sources and stuff. But all this, all of this is prohibited by the ninth commandment. So that's the scope of the commandment. It's a pretty big scope, isn't it? But how can we escape this problem, this sin of lying? Well, we must begin by dealing with the big lie that started it all. I showed you that the big lie was the one that Satan introduced into the world in the beginning. He was a liar from the beginning and abode not in the truth. That God is not Lord of our lives. That we are Lord. We are the one to decide. And of course, there are all the lies associated with that one. You know, like that God does not judge or that we can save ourselves or that God is only a force and not a person or that God doesn't even exist, or we we have to deal with the problem of lying at its roots. Go right back to the roots. Who is Lord? And the only way to do that, to deal with it at its roots, is to come to Jesus Christ. He is called the truth. He preaches the truth. And he is the truth. Calling to him for, coming to him for salvation is sometimes referred to as doing what? Coming to the knowledge of truth. The truth. You leave the narrative of falsehood that Satan put in motion and you come to the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. For example, in 1 Timothy 2 4, it says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. That's the way it describes coming to Christ for salvation there. When you come to Jesus, you give up the false narrative that the world has embraced, and you return to the truth about God and about you. You accept the truth that he is Lord, who is supposed to rule us, that we don't decide. You accept the truth that it was a very wicked thing for us to reject him as our Lord that it was even treason of the highest order. You don't minimize it, but you say what God says about it. You know what confession is? It's saying the same thing. That's what the word literally means. It homologio, you're saying the same word about this, this matter. So uh, you acknowledge that this is a sin of the highest order. You accept the truth that Jesus is God's son who came here to redeem sinners And and that this is the only way that sinners can be redeemed. It's not your decision what should be the only way. It's God's truth. The only way is by bearing our punishment on the cross for rejecting God as Lord. And for living as a human being as if God is not Lord. Jesus had to live as, as a human being as if he is Lord. God has promised that he will fully accept us if we give up any notion of making up for our offenses in any way whatsoever, and we rather rely upon Jesus Christ, then we will be forgiven for our sins, what Jesus did in order to atone for our sin. And of course, when we do that, then what do we do? We give up the false narrative, the false narrative in which we We're born in our father, Adam, and then we start to live as if he is Lord. In our weakness, of course, we often fail. We resort to our old ways of doing our own thing. But if we're truly trusting in Jesus, we confess our wrongs and we rely on him to cleanse us. That's part of living in the truth. We confess, we say the truth about whatever we have done. We don't return to the lie that he is not Lord, even though we admittedly do not live as consistent with that and consistently with that as we ought. And this coming to a knowledge of the truth has a profound effect upon our propensity to lie. OK, when you come to Jesus, it transforms you with regards to truth and lies. If you truly come to Jesus, then it changes you fundamentally about lying now I just said that we do fall into it but there's a whole nother attitude about it that that you deal with it now we love the truth instead of lies we have embraced the truth instead of falsehood and that means that we start living according to the truth we love it because the truth is what has saved us rather than lies We've been using lies to try to save us, to try to have refuge in lies. Now we have refuge in the truth. See, so it means that we start living according to truth. This is what it talks about in Ephesians 4:15, in that little phrase, speaking the truth in love. Now that little phrase, I've told you about this before, it's actually difficult to translate. Because in the Greek from which it is translated, it doesn't have the word speaking in it at all. If, if we were to try to translate it literally, it would be something like truthing in love. Now, of course, that's not good English because we don't have the word truthing that's used as a, as a verb like that in English. But that's the idea. It speaks of us as being people who live according to the truth. We move out of the false narrative and into the truth. We are not tossed around, as it says in the context, by every wind of doctrine, as it says in verse 14, but we are held firmly in the truth. In verse 17, he exhorts us to stop living as the Gentiles, those who, do not, those who have not come to Christ okay, among, the gen, among the nations. That's what he means here by Gentiles. They were Gentiles, right, as far as not Jews, but they had come to the truth. So they were now part of the Israel of God. But those who had not come to the truth, not been saved... We're to stop living as the Gentiles live, verse 17, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They are outside of truth. That description of all the uh, of the other Gentiles is a description of those who are making up their own narrative. It affects their whole life. They're estranged from God by lies and by ignorance. But in Christ, we are, as it were, shedding off the falsehood of living as if God is not Lord. And we are, as verse 13 says, coming to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We are becoming those who live in the real world that God made where He is Lord, where Jesus, His Son, is Lord. We have been, as it says in verse 21, taught by Christ. This is Ephesians 4, 21. Taught by Christ. And the result is that we, what? Put off our old ways, verse 22. And that we put on The new man, verse 24, that was created according to God. As we were at creation, according to the way that God created us. The result is that we start to love. Going back to our phrase in verse 15, it doesn't just say truthing, but it says truthing in love. When you follow God as Lord, then you start loving him and loving others. This is how people... Know that you are Christ's disciples, isn't it? By the love that you have for one another. That's how you show that you are of the truth. You are truthing in love. You're living in the world as God calls us to live where he is Lord. And of course, when you're truthing, it certainly does mean that you're also speaking the truth. Okay, that goes without saying. That's part of it. But it's not just speaking. It's living in truth altogether. So, in, But in Ephesians 4.25, when Paul starts to give examples of how a person living in the truth lives, he puts off the old man and puts on the new man. The very first thing that he mentions that we saw in our reading a while ago in verse 25, when he gives that list of different things that have put off this and put on this, um, the, the first one that he mentions is to stop lying to each other. Because we love each other. Look at 25, you can see what it says. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Lying has no place in a believer's life whatsoever because we are people who are of the truth, not people who are of falsehood. Now that we are living in the truth about God, We love the truth and we love each other. So we speak the truth to each other. The truth is not our enemy because it is by the truth that we have been saved. We don't have to resort to falsehood for comfort anymore. See, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. People don't love the truth because they have not yet been saved by the truth. When we've been saved by the truth, then we don't go, oh, truth is bad because that condemns me. No, truth is good because that saves me. I come to the truth. I come to Jesus Christ and I am saved. We find refuge in Christ instead of in lies, denying Christ. Now, let's think about that. Why would a person find refuge in lies, just latching on to lies, when we could come to the truth and be saved? What is the possible purpose of that? And this love for the truth and love for my neighbor means that I no longer want to live in a fantasy world, in a make-believe world, in a make-believe narrative, where I make up the story, like that the product that I'm selling is worth more than it really is, or where I make up the story that I have done, that I've not done wrongs that I really have done. Or that I have done better deeds than I actually did do. Or where I spread stories about other people to, to blame them or to make them look bad. Now, of course, I don't mean to apply, imply, and I say this again, that we are perfect when we come to Jesus. We still tell lies and we still gossip. But there is a fundamental change in our whole attitude about the truth that causes us to put away lying and to start speaking the truth. If that has not happened, then it indicates you're not in the truth. We're growing into the fullness of this new life by the grace of God to a perfect man. Jesus says that if we have come to him, we are of the truth. And in Isaiah 43, the Lord calls us his witnesses because we're the people in the world that are living according to the truth. We are constantly testifying that we, that he is Lord by living and speaking the truth listen to what the lord says to us in isaiah 43:10 through 12 you are my witnesses says the lord and my servant whom i have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that i am he before me there was no god formed nor shall there be after me i even i am the lord that's what satan denied and besides me, there is no savior. I have declared and saved and I have proclaimed and there is no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. That's how we escape from the refuge of lies. We come to Jesus Christ and then we become witnesses of the truth that he is Lord, please stand and let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we come before you as the Lord of all, confessing and acknowledging that you are the Lord and that there is no other Lord. We know that there are so many that deny this today, but Father, it is a situation as it has often been in the world where the multitude is wrong. We think of the day of Noah, where it was only Noah and his family that were of the truth in all of the world. What a remarkable thing that was. And Lord, how that they called the people around them to, to come to the truth. And yet no one would take heed that you are Lord. And we see, Lord, that it is so today that there are many who deny the truth, who live in the narrative of lies and they have their own ways of going about it. But the truth stands in opposition to all of this. Lies will always fail, but the truth is forever. The truth is what prevails. The truth is what stands when the lies all crumble down into the dust. Father, we pray then that we would be a people who love the truth, that we would be a people who embrace the truth. That we would be a people who delight in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth and who brought truth into this dark world. He is the light that shines in the darkness. And Father, we thank you that the darkness cannot overcome the truth, that his truth will endure forever and that nobody will be able to change that. We live in a world today where people think that the truth is what it is to you. And the reason they think that is because they teach that we are Lord, that each of us individually is Lord. Of course, then when we cross them, then all of a sudden they're Lord. But uh, we know, Lord, that that there is only one Lord and only one God. And we desire to be faithful witnesses to that. So we pray, Lord, that we would be found in Christ, walking in the truth, that we would be of God and not of Satan the father of lies. We remember when Jesus spoke to Pontius Pilate and he said that if he was of the truth, then he would believe. And Lord, we want, to, we want to be those who are of the truth, who believe the truth. We don't want to live in a fantasy world. So Father, help us, Lord, set us free from this refuge of lies that the world is in and help us, Lord, to assault that refuge of lies, to bring down the strongholds, and to set forth what is according to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our song of response is number 5B, Psalm 5B.
1: shout out, shout out. we <tose>